Welcome to Courageous Conversations, a podcast exploring the intimate side of activism. I'm Gillian Riley. And I'm Jen Warren. And through these interviews, we seek to understand what it really takes to show up and make change during this critical time in history. In an effort to become more effective change makers. Yes. Ultimately, our aim is to promote authentic engagement as a vital component of social justice and social change. Mandisa Diante and Akolile Notuala are the co-directors of the Social Justice Coalition, a Cape Town-based organization that works to advance the constitutional rights to life, dignity, equality, freedom, and safety for all South Africans, but particularly those living in townships and informal settlements. Axe and Mandisa are passionate activists and leaders who address issues of inequality in Cape Town, South Africa, and the world. They call themselves the terrible too, but there's nothing terrible about them. Young, black, educated, and driven by a deep sense of righteous purpose, they are South Africa's greatest hope and representative of its most profound dilemma. How do you escape poverty and discrimination? And what happens when you return home and try to help others do the same? In this interview recorded at the Cape Town Central Library, please forgive the audio quality, Axum and Disa give us deep insight into their everyday battles and force us to question whether progress is really so progressive after all. So when Jen and I were talking about how is this interview unique from the others, I said to her, well, I guess Axum and Disa are born free. Wow. (laughs) I mean, and then suddenly I was like, hmm, is that a term that you would own, that you would wear comfortably, or are you free? Were you born free? No. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, no, I mean, it's a term I've always rejected. The term itself, I think it's quite a misleading term for black youth in South Africa. So many young people younger than us still see the life in college as a norm. And there's nothing free about life in college. There's nothing free about life in a township anywhere. I think we need to really talk about What freedom means, what it means to be really free. How free are you when a person your age in a different world within South Africa has more than just access to those things? A white girl my age knew that mom and dad have discovered. Well, I was worried. I don't know what country means in that sense. In my case... Even though I finished university, I had to get in service training, which means I had to find a company and do practical work. And that's very difficult for many black young people. Even if you luckily manage to get into university, graduate, there's still that challenge of not being free in terms of getting a job. Within the university space as well, it's a culture shock for most of us because you've been in this environment where everything is done in a Sikosa or whatever language you speak, with very limited resources. And you go to university, and in my case, for instance, I had never seen a computer until I went to varsity. While people your age who's been exposed to these things are flourishing. The lectures are in English. If you're really unlucky, they're in Afrikaans. And you have to find your way and hustle and survive in that hostile space. So surviving university in itself takes a lot. 
because it is not made for people like us. The world of the successful is not made for people like us. You get into that space and you have to assert yourself because by virtue of being a black person, you don't know anything. And people look at you like that. And sometimes they are right because you've never been exposed to these things and you need to work twice as hard as everybody else to make sure that people need to know that I'm here and I belong and I'm going to make this work. It's things that black young people are still dealing with. And throughout your university time, you're worried about whether or not you're going to get a job because you feel like an outsider. So what you've wanted in life is to make it out of the ghetto, right? And be like everybody else and be sharp in life. If you think about this issue of education, you have a lot of white people in South Africa that have had a huge head start. And as a white person, just even without having a car, you're so privileged living in town. You're safe, you're secure. People around you are not going to say anything because they're in the same exact space. Yeah. People around me might say something because they're far less advantaged than I am. As a young black activist living in a township, in terms of making money and having to afford certain things, mm -hmm. the first car that I bought was a big car. I mean, I've had interesting conversations around just that. The image I present as an activist coming from a township. But then when you go to an informal settlement to address a certain meeting, what do you think people are going to say about you driving a big car in this type of struggle? And then there's people who say, you are young, you are black, you are in South Africa, and you are successful. And you have to be proud of that. You made it. And it's the money that I've earned because of the work that I'm doing. The work in itself is not necessarily about money. I have to survive. So I have to have a house, I have to have a car to get to those meetings. It's still a debate that I have with myself and even with colleagues in other organizations. That statement you made, you know, the world of success is not made for people like us. I mean, that's devastating yeah. because it suggests that all of our built-in notions of progress are actually completely false. Yeah. <laughs> we assume that these are open spaces that if you do what's required, the door is open. Mm. But the door is not open in so many ways. Talking about how education is a key, you are given this key, there's no door to yeah. open because of who you are and where you're from. So you have a duty of proving yourself to the wide world, the world of the successful, that, you know, I belong here, I've made it, I'm here. But also you have a duty of proving yourself to your own people to say, but I understand these struggles because I'm from here and I've had to work through that to get to where I am. In this beautiful, clean world, you are viewed with suspicion. Mm. But in your own not-so-beautiful, not-so-clean world as well, like, why should we trust you, black young people? Why should anyone trust us? Where do people like us really belong? So what do you say to them? What do you say to your community members who you go back to who say, you got out, you know, and you come back, you're pretending to care. Who is legitimate to lead a struggle? It's not an easy thing having those conversations, but we've been through a lot of the situations, a lot of the issues that we're trying to bring up in the community. And so 
we talk about those things even though i might live now in a house that has a toilet that has running water but i've been through the struggles of not having a toilet of not having water so i understand and i know the pain because i've been through that and it's about me as a black young person trying to make sure that i don't leave other black people in that type of situation that i know is terrible and for the organization as a whole for the SJC it's not necessarily about representation it's about finding some ways for people to empower themselves so that they might have a way of getting out of the situation and also saying this is not normal yeah yeah i have been lucky enough being involved in the SJC to have traveled across the country and around the world and seeing how other cities are in terms of infrastructure meeting a lot of people different races different cultures different religions and understanding the world because south africa is so removed from other countries across africa you have south africa being so removed you have the western cape being so removed you have cape town and you have kailicha being so removed from the rest of the world and so it's trying to have those conversations with people and trying to get people to see the struggles are the same and i think talking about how you proved your authenticity you brought this kind of protection and safety layers for yourself and you are viewed with suspicion because of all of the privilege that you have and for you to be able to relate to people in that space they need to know that you've once lived in a shack that for all your primary school life you didn't have a toilet and i think what people need from people like us is the real mandisa that young girl that grew up in fuleni stayed in a shack and had to go fetch water from kilometer away from where you stay because there are people that still live that life and for them to know that this is not something you've read in a book or you've had someone talking about it's your own lived experience and i think that makes you a person they can relate to a person they can trust and for me it's an uncomfortable space to have to prove i've been here it's more like the struggle credentials that our politicians keep whipping out to say I was in the struggle so I qualified to be your president or your minister or whatever yeah. mm. and that shouldn't be a ticket to corruption and all of those things and sadly they are so to have to stand and say you know me I grew up in Fuleni these are people's lived experiences it can be something that our current leaders use because people died in the struggle it can be something that gives us a ticket to be corrupt and to do all these terrible terrible things for successful young black leaders like yourselves it feels to me like this suspicion on all sides yeah and a lack of belonging you know this incredibly narrow space in which you feel at home if you will because you got away from where you came from but you still feel alienated from the world of success you're having to prove yourself to people in the townships by saying i was once you you have to prove yourself to white donors or business people by saying precisely the opposite yeah it sounds unbelievably exhausting and alienating to always prove yourself in very different ways and that's something that 
I've never had to do. Yeah. I'd never felt my essential self being questioned mm -hmm. the way that you were describing. And I think that that's something that people who look like me just don't understand. It's like we live in a complex world. Firstly, like the inequalities that you see in Cape Town, the fact that you have Kailicha, you have the city center. We talk and think about this sense of belonging. You can walk around freely, but then go back to Kailicha and it's a different type of complexity. And sometimes I think even with myself and Mandisa, we get to a stage where we have to understand that we were here, but now we've gotten to a space where we are privileged. If you look at where other people are, but again, I'm privileged more than Mandisa because I'm a man. So it's about understanding those layers and being able to say, yes, I understand I'm privileged. We're all trying to get to a level where we can all be equal. Mm -hmm. But it's at different steps and we have to start with different struggles. I think what I like in the space is being challenged as a man, as a privileged young black man who no longer lives in an informal settlement. And also challenging myself, challenging white men and white women who have never been in that space and having those discussions. Being challenged to know that your own success is not enough. That whatever you might have doesn't mean all is well. We can't be saying that people must get over things. We can't be asking people not to be angry because we've managed to get out of whatever situation they are still in. Mm. We have to be humble enough to understand our own privileges. And because you are looking at things with a privileged eye, everything looks clean and okay and can all hold hands and sing kumbaya because there are different layers of injustices and oppression that people still experience. I mean, the experiences that you've had shape you to view things in a certain way. Whereas in spaces, yeah, I can easily trust anyone because people are doing their lives. No one is thinking about robbing me or raping me or killing me or any of those things. So we have to always be aware of those privileges and lack of privileges mm -hmm. in dealing with different people and in being leaders. So it's a really complex space. Yeah. You can't be trusted by old men in your community because, wow, you are just a young girl. What do you mean we should listen to you? What do you mean you want to lead us? And that's something I have to struggle with. X comes in and they're like, you want to rob us. So you are challenged to always be aware of the kinds of anxieties and fears that mm -hmm. people experience every day. And you need to be humble enough to acknowledge those and find ways to work around. There's the issue of culture and respect. And because of what we conditioned in terms of patriarchy. And so in spaces where sometimes even when you have to interact with government officials, the conversation can turn and can change and focus on you mm, not respecting, not respecting. Mm. instead of trying to talk about the real issues. So, so those are some of the challenges that we have to maneuver around. Do you have those conversations? Do you get into that and say, no, the reason I'm not respecting you is about this? I think we should. Right. And I would say that to all people. Respect is end. I don't respect this particular person because of one, two, three. It's conversations that we should have with older people that we interact with. 
I think as X is saying, we need to find ways of mm. actually standing up to people that are doing things that shouldn't be done. It's such an interesting generational take on leadership in South Africa today and I think globally, whether yeah. it's gender relations or the role of government. I mean, as you guys as young leaders look out at your leadership you know, in this country today, questioning the powerful is incredibly difficult. It's not only obviously hard to do socially, but culturally it's not encouraged. There are a number of barriers beyond what somebody like me might see to change. Yeah. And they're cultural, they're social, they're economic. So our current leadership, and I use that broadly, I'm not just talking about Dada Zuma, I'm talking about <laughs> the people who are in charge of companies, yeah. headmasters who think that they have reign over schools, mm-hmm. you know, a really broad understanding of the generation of leaders right now yeah. who feel somewhat entitled to those positions. What do we do about entitled people who need to be questioned? It's kind of like, who's going to stick their head up and say, it's time for you to go? I think one thing is having spaces to have these discussions. Yes. And it's about showing and being able to talk about that discomfort, even if that will make someone else uncomfortable. It's about making sure that you do that. Talking about this issue of respect and power. As young people, what we need is to be brave, to talk about those things, and to have leaders, to have someone who's going to be able to start a conversation. Yes. To stand up and say, no, this is not how things should be done. Thinking and talking about comfort and discomfort, and say, you're comfortable, but I'm not. So I'm going to do something that will even make you uncomfortable so that you realize that this is not how things should be. It's about taking discomfort and putting it right at the heart of comfort. You can't be sitting here comfortable while millions Mm. of people are sitting in discomfort. And I think it's about making leaders uncomfortable as well. You have to be open to other ways of doing things. But I think also it's a pity that we have to sacrifice a few people for change to happen. I guess that's the nature of the struggle. A few people are sacrificed while trying to advance a certain cause. And I think that's a pity because how wrong things are. Everyone should know that. Everyone should see that. And everyone should be in a position to take that fight up. Everyone should be courageous enough to do that, but that's not the case. Mm. So we need to have those few people that will champion the struggle, that will make people uncomfortable. I mean, even people in the NGO sector need to be challenged as Mm. well to say, we can't be sitting in a conference room and talking about sanitation in college. Who in here doesn't have a toilet, for instance? Who in here lives in a shack? What makes it appropriate? So I think methods also need to be challenged because we've had conferences and seminars and, 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 and. But what has that done? Have you been to the ground? What's happening there? How do we get people who know the struggles every day? How do we get those voices out? Mm. That's what makes young people relevant. Young people are in touch with things on the ground. How do we get those voices out here? How do we allow those voices to lead, Mm. to be heard? 
looking at the history of South Africa and how young people have spearheaded revolutions in different levels and sectors of society, how do these two generations begin to speak to each other? There's place for both of those in the struggle. As you guys are speaking, I'm just really seeing you both as unbelievably powerful. The hope sits with the ability of people like you to bridge generations. Yeah. You know, you have feet in so many different places. In this unbelievably divided time, when I listen to you, I feel hope that there are people who could possibly find connections between and among us. The conversation can't just be amongst young people. It can't just be amongst women. We have to find ways of talking with yeah. each other about the issues that concern all of us. Yeah. And you actually have the ability to do that because you've lived these incredibly short but rich lives yeah. that have put you in a really powerful position. How do you use that power? You are leading an incredibly complex struggle, much more complex than the one that your forebears were leading. The definition of liberation is muddied and complex, not about who's in state house at all. Yeah. It's an economic discussion, it's a gender discussion, it's a spatial discussion. What can you do? With all the complexities that exist, I think our role and others who are in a similar space who are young, it's not to necessarily focus on leading a struggle is to make sure that we expand that leadership. That power that we have is power that we impart mm. and we make sure that there are other young people that we empower. So sharing the knowledge and sharing the education amongst young people. So it's about making sure that these conversations are had, creating spaces where you get doctors talking about these things, engineers even, though they might say that we're not interested in politics, but their lives revolve around politics. Right. Politics revolve around their lives. So it's useless to have a conversations amongst activists, among people who have a similar mindset. We need to expand the knowledge and the ideas that we have mm -hmm. to go beyond the space that we occupy. At the SDC, we call this building political power. How do we get people in communities talking about these issues and seeing that something's wrong with this and something needs to be done? And I think and I pray that we don't make the same mistakes like referring to the older generation where struggles are centered around one man and you can't even say one person. It's always a Steve Biko, a Mandela, a Sobukwe, mm -hmm. a Zuma, as if they were the only people doing this, as if there were no women in the struggle, as if no women lost their lives. Women were out there in the field being killed and raped, as if people on the ground in communities were not busy toying and losing their lives. I mean, we don't all have to be activists in this way that we are. I would like ideally that someone has an activist in him or in her to find that queerness, finding that activist in you, say something or do something around issues that affects us all. And you're talking about a very different notion of power. It's a sharing and a relinquishing. To me, that sits right at the heart of 
transformation yeah. of any kind. I don't care what you're talking about, you know, inside a household, inside a school. It's about reconceptualizing our relationship with power. And you're living that experiment in a very different notion of what powerful people do. Do they use that to exercise their will mm. or do they use that to spread it as widely as possible? I mean, that single idea is totally revolutionary. For the most part, power is winner takes all. And I will impose my agenda and you will have to get me out. Yeah. I'm not here to serve. I'm here to impose. So many of our conversations around activism are coming back to, it starts with me. Each person taking a decision that he or she is going to start to make different choices. Yeah, and I think one of the important things while trying to encourage people to be involved, encourage people to be conscious and to speak out is to be realistic and to be able to talk and manage expectations and to say that change is difficult, it's complex. In a very divided, unequal society, there's certain things that you can start changing. If we understand that, then we are able to say, okay, we might much and we might lose. We have to accept that and evaluate and see what is it that we haven't done right. That will keep us going if we understand that. Yeah. The sort of democratization of conversation, the real-time democratization of power that's occurring outside of politics. Yeah, I think it would not be justice for me if I don't call out what we see currently. I don't necessarily want to call out the party, but the fact that you have people contesting presidency within the ANC that are over 60 years of age in a very young country. There's so many other brilliant young people within political parties, but also within civil society that are capable of taking this country to a better place. And I think if we don't challenge those type of things as young people, we run the risk of this cycle. Absolutely. struggle credential cycle that doesn't necessarily take us anywhere i feel like we're locked in this global struggle against old men yeah who feel like their time is running out and it's time to go but with no offense to the many old men who i love you know that was born of a certain time when as you say our understanding of who was equipped to do the job of leading looked mostly male and mostly over a certain age Mm -hmm. We have what I feel like now is this last gasp of that idea that you've got to be old and male mm. in order to have the biggest jobs in the world. It's, it's, it's <laughs> And without us being able to make them feel uncomfortable being an old yeah, man in power. Of course, yeah. Then we're not doing what Justice we should be doing. Also, yeah. When you're an old man in power and addressing young people, you have to feel uncomfortable that you're standing there, especially if you're an old white man. And once you start feeling uncomfortable, then there will be that realization that it's no longer your place. Of course, it's important for that wisdom that exists for us to tap into that. But we have to make these people feel uncomfortable. And as you say, it's incredibly difficult because I think they don't feel the slightest bit of discomfort. But the future is changing. I do believe that it will take time. It's not next year. And I'm grateful that there are people like you who are leading that process.
Wow. What an honor. I could talk to you all day long, but I feel like this is required listening for every single person in South Africa. You are in a space that every single person needs to understand, both personally, spatially, politically. Your reality needs to be understood because you are attempting to do the right thing by this country. And at great personal sacrifice and with a tremendous amount of daily self-awareness and personal discovery, it's humbling for me to hear that from you. And I really hope that other people can hear it as well from every single walk of life because it's an important reality for us to understand better the future leaders of this country because that's where you're the current leaders of this country. (laughs) And I have no doubt that more and more people will be engaged. I am hoping that this community of young people will be able to say this is wrong. We cannot accept this. And I think at the heart of what we are trying to do to build that movement of young people that will take forward the struggle long after we are gone, long after the SJC is gone, long after issues of sanitation and safety are sorted out. That is what we are hoping for. Thank you so much. Our conversation was somehow devastating and inspiring at the same time. I felt incredibly fortunate to be let in, to share in their experiences. I know. Listening to Akhalile and Mandisa, I felt such a sense of hope for South Africa. Theirs is a success story. Well-educated, with good jobs, they couldn't ignore the lingering discomfort at the heart of their hard-earned comfort. And so Aximandisa decided to return to Kailicha to lead the struggle against inequality and injustice in their own community. And yet, they seem to feel such a little sense of belonging. Displaced and alienated at every front, everywhere they turn. It must be an extraordinary burden to bear every day, but Akolile and Mandisa do it with real courage, passion, and grace. Courageous Conversations is supported by the Ford Foundation and produced by Jen Warren, with music courtesy of Benjamin Verdery. Follow us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Courageous Conversations. You can also visit gillianreilly.com slash podcasts for more information or to listen online. And we have a new website. Visit soundpage.fm slash courageous conversations. Thanks for listening.